you people. We're Americans. Hi, I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and a cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and actor. Welcome to Genre Reveal Party, where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV or movie to discuss with spoilers, because you don't need to have watched the thing to enjoy the podcast. We are in season one, Family Matters. We are, the the home stretch is visible. This is the last of our non-guest episodes. I think our, our final two, final two or final three? Two. Final two episodes will have guests on them. So a special little moment of just just family here. <laughs> and um and then I wanted to bring up we talked about Royal Tenenbaums, Wes Anderson last week. And I did per the requ- per my request in the podcast get at least one person talking to me via text message about my thoughts about family movies. <laughs> my friend Katie Llewellyn asked me what my favorite family's movies were. I I could not really think of any. This is something I'm like I'm like I didn't realize how maybe little I think of family movies. Like I think if you had asked me my favorite family movies, I would have thought of like family friendly yes, movies. Right. Like The Goonies was the first thing that came to mind. And that's a Friends movie more than a family movie. And I think mm-hmm. Friends movies take the place of family movies for me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Still think, still rolling it around in my brain. Mm-hmm. But Katie had an amazing genre for Wes Anderson as a whole that comes from our discussion. But I think we should still give Katie credit for this. She said, Wes Anderson movies, the genre is taxidermical fascism. Nice. (laughs) That feels, yeah, it it feels very precise. Especially with that film. But is it, wait, is she saying that that's all of his films as a kind of coherent She did say, she said as a whole, as a whole, whole, that's the Wes, Wes Anderson genre. So, yeah. And in that sense, the Royal Tannenbaums is like the urtext, the primary, yeah, the urtext, exactly, um, yeah. the primary source. Because yeah, I mean, I wonder if that's what we we like so much about Bottle Rocket and Rushmore is that they are not quite that yet, and yes, um, and they're messier, which which mm-hmm. uh, leads to the big thing I want to kick off with about the movie we're talking about today. And they're about friendship, um, and I think that was one of the things I was yeah. I was reflecting a lot on afterward is uh, yeah how his how his films are so fixated on on familial relationships, you know, yeah. and yeah. Um, and that there's a kind of like closure of other kinds of sociality, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but at any rate. 
We're not talking about Wes Anderson today. <laughs> yes, we are <laughs> talking. <laughs> we're talking about Jordan Peele, another auteur. Uh, it was my so choice much this week. <laughs> I, I believe so as well. Yes, uh, we're talking about a movie uh, that this this might be an interesting one because I think we both have had the experience of uh, really enjoying talking about movies that we don't unabashedly love. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that being almost an easier conversation in some ways. This movie today, I unabashedly love. We'll talk about it in his, in the context of his full filmography uh, a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about Us, 2019 Jordan Peele movie, the second of his three movies that have come out so far. Uh, Here's a, here's a, a brief plot synopsis. So there's a black family, the Wilsons, who go to Santa Cruz, where you used to live, right, Madeline? Yep. Okay. Go to Santa Cruz to visit Madeline and her family for a vacation. (laughs) Right. Uh, With their slightly more well-off friends, uh, a a group of whites called the Tylers. Uh, So before present day, in the very first sequence of the movie, a little girl named Adelaide watches a commercial for Hands Across America, the initiative to get people holding hands literally across every mile of America from Long Beach to New York and to to raise money for for homeless and hungry people. And it's so, spon- sponsored by USA for Africa, right? Oh, is it? I didn't see that sponsorship. I know that the, one of the producers was involved in We Are the World. There was a bit, exactly. it was one of, part of this, this 80s era of like, cause it was 86 that mm-hmm. Hands Across America happened and this era of live aid. And these like big benefit concerts, recording songs, We Are the World. Toto made mm-hmm. a song for uh, Hands Across America. But yeah, we can talk about Hands Across America. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah. In a bit. So one night at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk in this first sequence, this little girl, Adelaide, wanders away from her parents and enters a fun house where she encounters a flesh and blood doppelganger of herself. Later on, as she grows up, she seems alienated and distant from her parents. Fast forward to present day, uh, on the vacation. One night, the Wilson's doppelgangers appear in their driveway in red jumpsuits with golden scissors and proceed to terrorize them in their home and later throughout the city. It turns out everyone has tethered doppelgangers who live in America's underground tunnels and walkways, part of the opening text in the movie. Uh, and they, they sort of emptily perform the movements of their above ground counterparts. Apparently the, the science that produced these tethereds was able to replicate bodies, but not the souls. So maybe they share souls with these people. We see the Tyler's tethereds kill the quote, real Tyler's, 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 Tethered's, Tyler's, um, in their home. Then the Wilsons, which includes Adelaide, who's now the mother, uh, eliminate their Tethered's one by one until Adelaide, played by Lupita and Yongo, confronts the very last one. All the Tethered's have separate names. So Red is Adelaide's Tethered. And, um, 
Adelaide confronts Red in the tunnels under Santa Cruz. In this huge fight scene, Red is like taunting Adelaide at first and reveals to her that she started planning an uprising after separating from Adelaide during a ballet performance when they were adolescents. So Adelaide performed this I, I forget, I, I can look up the name of the piece, but this ballet piece that's normally performed for two people, Adelaide as a kid performed it herself. And it was like this big thing, big highlight of her dancing career. Turns out under the ground, Red was performing the other part, mm-hmm. um, and, and had this kind of realization. So she planned this uprising and at the end of the movie, Adelaide is driving away with her family after killing Red. And it is revealed through a sly look to her son as they drive away that Adelaide and Red in that funhouse in the first sequence of the movie switched. They switched. So mm-hmm. the original <clears throat> Adelaide who grew up to say like age nine and went into the funhouse was became the tethered. Uh, Red, who planned the uprising, and the the Adelaide who survived was the original raised as Red for the first nine years of of life. Uh, The last shot shows that the tethered have formed a human chain, hands across America style, stretching out across the landscape with helicopters hovering overhead. End of movie and beginning of our chat. We took a poll, right? We did a a Twitter poll that technically hasn't closed, but I think we have some fairly definitive results about the best Jordan Peele movie, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in order, um, 55% gave it um, Get Out, named Get Out the best movie, Uh, 12% named Us, and 33% named Nope. I was kind of thinking Us and Nope would be switched I, I i was thinking nope would be the least popular of his of his movies but really why yeah i don't know well i i don't know i i maybe i wasn't paying as much of a atten- much of attention or maybe it's just because i'm i was living in santa cruz at the time and it was just like us is just the biggest deal that, that sure. has happened you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so i'm working with kind of a skewed population or something like that. I don't really know, but I did, I did think, you know, I felt, I feel like this is a perfect movie. Um, I also feel like get out is an almost perfect movie. Um, Wow. So, okay. So what, what are your rankings of the Jordan Peele movies? I don't know how to do it. My favorite to watch is get out. Okay. I loved Nope. And Mm -hmm. I'm really, us really scares me, but I <laughs> I do appreciate it a lot every time I watch it. And I guess in Us, there's very little I would change. I think before that sly look in the end um, yeah. that she gives her son, which I think what's revealed in that moment isn't... We know at that point that, that she's red, right? Um, because... We get the sequence of that's um, true flashbacks that's, and that is and true. then when yes. she kills um 
Yeah, when the she original kills Adelaide, Adelaide yeah. she starts making these noises, right? Uh-huh. uh-huh. And um, then we then we realize that Jason's been watching through those holes in the locker. She the finds holes him. in the locker? There's ho- these holes, these peepholes. Oh, down he- in the tunnels? Mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. He's okay. been watching this whole um, death scene. Um so then we're wondering, does he know, right? And then in, what's revealed in the ambulance, you know, in the end as they're driving off is is that he knows too, yes, right? That's it's not right. not yes. her identity, but that there's this mutual understanding between them. Totally. Um, and then his decision is then to like put on his mask, right? Yeah. Which is yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyways, I think the end of Us is much better than Get Out. Really? Um, Yes. Because the, the end of Get Out is also very, I mean, definitive in some ways, or very strident. It definitely has an ending. I guess so, but, um, you know, what always, like, really troubled me about that is that you you don't know what happens next for Chris, right? Okay. <laughs> and um, I feel like politically it's kind of maybe obligated to provide a little bit more there right and instead it like lets us leave in this fantasy moment and maybe that is a point i just find it more kind of troubling and and messy right we and this you've fantasy seen the alternate his... ending of get out right yeah yeah where he's like in jail would that have been a more satisfying ending no you? not at all but i think okay. there's something something between those two endings that <laughs> like i don't know it's messy it's entangled whereas us is a per it's just a perfect ending i don't know that's so interesting because i want to talk about messiness mm-hmm. and i think what makes you know they could because i i was surprised to hear you say that you thought of us as perfect and get out as almost perfect. Because I think a lot of the reasons that Nope or us, I think Nope is already the fact that Nope is now the second most popular because people did see Nope and were kind of like, at least in my circle, a little bit like disappointed by it. Yeah. Because the that fact that the, the movie is called Nope, the tra- he he does these great trailers and it's like mm-hmm. people running from some sort of space thing and just the idea of like a black family just like coming across aliens and being like nope is a fucking you're just like yeah absolutely i'm on board with that i know but it is it's also an ending thing right because it's the reveal of the spaceship that right right that everyone was super disappointed by <laughs> but i think that's so i love that he like actually is doing an ending it's not just like I do this too ambiguous like he fucking shows you the ship it does a crazy thing it's like thank you like and and i guess that's kind of the way in which he is a genre filmmaker as -hmm. opposed to a prestige filmmaker he's not just living in ambiguity i mean the, the secret is he's both obviously but like the he's not just living in this sort of literary ambiguity just kind of dancing around things he's like i'm gonna show you a thing Mm -hmm. that might disappoint you the same way that like 
signs with M. Night Shyamalan. Like, was so scary. And then you see these aliens in there, these, like, fucking not that scary, just, like, (laughs) weird-looking little guys who are afraid of water. And, uh, and, and so you really, like, show your ass as a, as a director by, or, you know, expose yourself to vulnerability by, by showing anything specific. But the thing I like about us is that it is so messy. Get out. It feels like a really, feels like a dessert or something like a, like a really Mm. precisely layered tiramisu. All the flavors are like distinct (laughs) and you like know exact like, and it's beautiful. It's like, it's perfect. And to be clear, I love all of these movies. I think I would, I rewatched Get Out for this, didn't rewatch Note, but would happily rewatch these movies as, mm-hmm. as many times. But I think it goes us, us, I think us is my number one, and then Get Out or Nope, I, I, I don't, I would have to rewatch Nope, but I'm willing to say us. I th- I'm willing to say us no uh, us get out nope as my in, in that order. And what I love about us is that it is messier and when you read reviews like from when it came out which we're in 2023 it's not that long ago politically mm-hmm. maybe but mm-hmm. like people complain that they can't make as much sense of it as as get out. It it doesn't have like a tidy message about race even about mm-hmm. class which this movie seems to be more about than race um necessarily and i just i i love that for it that there are like all these loose ends and i love it for that rather that it can like be so many different things and so much scarier. Like, I do think that is a thing people also said about this movie, mm-hmm. is that it was, like, viscerally scarier than Get Out. Right, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't yeah. know. What do you... Like, what's... Us is the one that I won't show my kid yet. Right, <laughs> right. But I actually... We actually did watch Get Out um, this week. And I was okay. like, you're almost... You know, you're almost 12 and you can leave the room if you're scared in the end, but it's not scary until the end, you know? Right. Um, and most of it, I'm like, you're, you're a white 12 year old. You should, you should know <laughs> right. that it is, you should know what I would have voted for Obama three times means, you know? You, totally, you need to, totally. This is a great lesson for you. And, um, and, and it does that through comedy and through, um, cringe and i love i love all of the things going on in it i guess you know i'm fine to play these like play these games like which is the best one and rank these things sure sure most of the time but i really don't know if i can with jordan peele and i know joanna responded joanna isaacson responded with all of the above right and that's Mm -hmm, that's kind of mm -hmm. how i feel like i appreciate really different things from each of them of course. And I think their strengths are very, yeah, very different. Um, and that's so cool that a hundred percent they have. I mean, it is like a family, like how three different siblings are completely mm. different. Yeah. Right? But you yeah. see that they're connected in some way. And so um, I just love that. And I also love that um, Nope really invites you to, to look back and pick up 
intertextual clues um, to make sense of its, its kind of central mystery. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I just, I just really like the way in which they uh, interact with each other as, as a kind of trilogy, even though they aren't technically set in the same narrative world. Right. Right. The minute he makes a fourth movie, this will all like be troubled and kind of fall apart. (laughs) But there is a way in which us does feel like a very like middle child of a movie. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. But, but I think nope is just, you know, like you're the youngest one who (laughs) we're just going to let you you do weird stuff in the yard (laughs) um, unsupervised and you'll come back in. We'll be really confused. I don't know. And yeah. Get Out is very much a precious, tight mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. genre study, right? Totally. And I think this is happening with genre, too. Like, if we look at Get Out versus Nope in terms of what they're doing with genre, Get Out is it is a tiramisu. It is, you know, act one is um, guess who's coming to dinner. And then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. act two and is you know stepford wives <laughs> and like and it's working with these kinds of um intertexts but also using them to pivot through genre and i don't know i find it, i like the tiramisu nope is then just like um um lentil soup or something it's just everything's thrown in and mashed up and like okay okay sure um, sure sure indiscernible from the other objects you know gotcha okay and i kind of like that about it too you know the whole time that it's that it's an alien ufo yeah right 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 right, right, it's not that isn't part of the reveal it's just kind of the sight sight gag (laughs) yes totally totally well and deepening the themes in the way that it looks like a camera Mm -hmm. um but i think I also like because everything you're saying, I want to like respond to and say 50 <laughs> different things in response to. But I also think it's important relatively early or early in the conversation mm-hmm. to just point out what to me feels like the obvious. We're two white people in their 30s. Edu- you could say well educated from the same exact college, you know, and yeah. like, um, yeah, it like we're not going to be there are plenty of great very like insightful trenchant commentaries about this movie and about Jordan Peele movies in general. Many from Jordan Peele just like mm-hmm. his interviews or like special features even in the us uh I I got it on Apple and cuz I I bought it cuz I wanted to see what the extras were. And there are some like really interesting little featurettes. But like yeah, like I, I think hopefully we can push the dialogue around this movie forward around some of the genre stuff, but like mm-hmm. there is race stuff here that we are aware of and attuned to, but we also get that it's like we're two white people talking about us, you know what I mean? So it's like that is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but okay, so the way us is this messy sort of middle child movie, and and, and what is messy about it? is part of what I forget what I think it was an interview I saw with him like these Jordan Peele movies really seem to feed internet theories a lot. right people have people love going on reddit 
and like saying they all exist in the same universe. To me, okay, these don't yeah. like I, I just don't get that much out of like these movies existing in the same universe. That's, uh, I'm like, okay, so so what? it's like the the Pixar thing where it's like, oh, these movies all happen chronologically in different orders. I'm like, okay, but what does that tell me? You know, but but I, I am interested in within the movies like mm-hmm. okay what do scissors mean what do rabbits mean the fact that there's a deer in get out and there are rabbits these particularly like mm-hmm. dead-eyed wild animals or wild-eyed wild animals um those things are interesting and i think people want to make perfect sense of us in a way that the movie resists and that is what I really appreciate and love about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, Nope. I saw all that get really accelerated with Nope, right? And I think sure. that that's – I think I already said this, but an open invitation of that movie <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, right? in some it ways, It seems to kind sure. of taunt um, <laughs> those conspiracy theorists. Um I think what it also is maybe, yeah, maybe not just taunting, but responding to it and, um, not, not providing a perfect answer, but, um, but yeah, affirming that, you know, these, these should be thought alongside each other in some way, right? Um, yeah, thought alongside each other. But, but what is like, what does that do for you? I guess. That they're like they're in dialogue in some way, right? Sure, sure. So in the sense that like to what like get out is so clearly about race. Mm-hmm. Um us also centers a black family, but the ways in which it is a- and specifically like in some of the featurettes, Jordan Peel talks about um people expecting another race movie from him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with us intentionally kind of not just making a just race movie. Because this idea of like haves and have nots that you get from the tethered, it, it can be. But I don't think Get Out is a just a race movie. I think it's about, I mean, it's. Get Out's also... about many things, but it, but it feels very primarily a race movie. Yeah, but it's also a class. There's so much about class, like going into this extremely wealthy liberal suburb you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, i think they're both very um actively you know engaged in a class critique um but just in different ways right so the tyler family is a a black professional upper middle class family right and Mm -hmm. it's um they have arrived at this kind of status that maybe like Chris and get out is aspiring to in some way. And that, um, being involved with a wealthy white woman is kind of caught up in. Right. But yeah, again, this is, this is something that let's think about putting them in dialogue. Like Chris is a character who would not call the cops. Calling the cops is not an option. That's not something that right. ever crosses his mind. The first thing that they do is call the cops. In us. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's real. I totally. mean, Gabe doesn't. He goes out and um, <laughs> in his Howard University, you know, right. shirt, right, right? Uh, sweatshirt. Um, so I think it, you know, there's a, it's a different formula in each of them, but they are very much about the ways in which race and class interact, you know, in totally. In the US. I guess in Get Out, the interaction. And I mean, this speaks to the messiness is that like the interaction of class and race, like the ways in which get out is about class, it separates down it like precisely down racial lines. Mm-hmm. Whereas in us, you have right the, the a mixture. You, you have like upper middle class black family. You have tethered for everyone. So there's hella white tethereds as well yeah. you know what i mean um right but yeah i i think i i see what you're saying and i think that is part of what makes it harder for people to wrap their minds around and sew up into this like perfect little package it, but i think also what jordan peele does is like there are there are logistics of well Probably of all three movies, but there are logistics of us that will you that just are not explained, will mm. never be explained. That are like if you focus too much on that, you will You'll not enjoy this point. movie. You'll miss the point. Like mm-hmm. you know the whatever the science is that invented mm-hmm. the tethers is like no, you have to just accept these tethers exist and that there is such a thing as a as a soul and the tethers and the above ground people share. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And I think maybe that's what make, you know, now putting us into dialogue with Nope, that is not the tendency in Nope. I mean, he's feeding into that impulse in some ways. And, and I think critically, but like, that is a movie that you, you almost can't leave it without having a conspiracy theory about it, right? It is is kind of about um, well, and it makes sense because it's a UFO movie. Exactly. Yeah. So you get kind of thrown into that um, mindset, which makes it a totally different genre as well, right? Um, so I don't, I don't know. He's, I don't know. He just shouldn't make a fourth movie. I guess that's uh, no. <laughs> of course he should. <laughs> no, it's just such a great um, trio. Totally. Um, well, let's talk really about genre that. really explicitly. In a mm-hmm. way that we like don't always do before the genre reveal. Sure, because sure. I think this movie both plays with genre in a large sense and genre within a specifically within horror sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So Jordane Searles is a critic who, mm-hmm. and I believe a, a comic as well, who wrote a piece for, I think it was Bitch Media. Uh, are, are you familiar? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Media. Seem cool. Cool, cool, cool name. But she said, the film's setup is refreshingly simple. A self-contained, well-off family on on vacation is menaced by forces beyond their control. It's a well-worn trope that's long been employed in home invasion thrillers, The Strangers, Funny Games, Supernatural Fright Fests, The Amityville Horror, Poltergeists, and even Comedy. What about Bob? So I yeah, <laughs> I and I like I did that not too. Think about what about Bob? I didn't think yeah. about what about Bob either. It's like such a great like yeah. The, the Bob as tethered is kind of an amazing um, 
thing that we we could have done what about bob this season we could have yeah as a family thing but so so obviously we have right there is there is a a very dark comedy to mm-hmm. this movie uh there there is a very obvious comedy in the character of gabe the dad adelaide's husband that is al- almost he's never so funny <laughs> he, he's he's funny <laughs> But not in the ways he is always trying to be. You know right, what I mean? Exactly. Like he is like uh, the ultimate corny dad. Yeah. Um There's there's funny. I, I find humor in the twins, the Tyler's kids, mm. being so creepy and deranged. And when the one is like still kind of alive at that mm. point, and she's just like, ah! like I, I don't know. They. they he plays the que- the creepy twins trope it, it really well. Very in it, yeah, really well. Mm-hmm. Then, but then, so then, obviously, it's a it's a horror movie. If you have to like file this, you know, at the blockbuster, it's a it's yeah. a horror movie. <laughs> the blockbuster, <laughs> I, you know, that's a whatever. Yeah. Everyone I mean, knows what blockbuster is, even if they, you know, a, a Gen Zer knows what it is, right? Gen Zers. Do we have Gen Z listeners? I don't know. That's, Please. We want you guys to think we're cool so bad. <laughs> we get it. This is lit, okay? This is dope and lit. No. Uh, so it's a horror movie, but it's also a sci-fi movie, right? And I love yeah. that, like, the last – rewatching this movie fucked me up because I remembered the last part of the movie as the whole movie. Where it's like, Mm. it it is just focused on this family, on this home invasion even, for like half to two-thirds of the movie before it opens up into this whole wider – and that to me is the sort of sci-fi element of Mm -hmm. like – of all the explanations of – uh, you know how long these these tethered people have existed, what the uprising planning was like, that moment where Red – quote saw god while dancing that ballet dance mm-hmm. and i had remembered that stuff way better like and i thought that that was like way more of the movie yeah no it does have a kind of dreamlike or nightmarish you know quality where you right. lose sense of time um right throughout throughout um scenes and things like that it's it's pretty it's powerful. Um, Had you actually, remembered that that sort of balance of things? That doesn't. I. I was pretty caught up in the home invasion. Okay. So okay. Sure. 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 That did feel like the bulk of the movie for me. Right. Um, right. So then, within. Uh, the horror genre, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jordan mentions the supernatural movies, mm-hmm. home invasion movies. Um, there's a whole doppelganger genre of horror slash thrillers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's like psychological horror, which always seems to be the description of like horror that's kind of literary or involves any sort of mental break from reality. I find it to be a like very 
if you call something psychological horror, chances are I'll be interested in it. And mm. the whole time I'll be thinking about how like this is just a horror movie. It's like calling something like experimental music. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah. But what every music is experimental music. I guess it's like psychological horror, the psychological thriller both strike me as, you know, just about this is a horror film with character development because horror films yes. often don't have any character <laughs> that development. Is, exactly. There's just exactly. like a guy with a mask and a chainsaw <laughs> showing up. He has no backstory whatsoever. You get it yes. for like three minutes, right? And so totally. if there's any any character at all with any dimensions, then it gets this, you know, psychological subtagging, you know? Yes, Don't that is a hundred percent. Yeah, totally. It is a very sloppy um, subgenre, though, for that reason. Well, but the thing I want to talk about is the title of the movie in this genre mm, context, mm-hmm. right? So, like, right. it, The Strangers was a movie I thought of, which mm-hmm. I get. I've seen the trailer and not the whole movie, but I'm familiar enough with the concept. You know, people show up in creepy masks, terrorize a family. Um, but that movie is not called the family who lives at the house. It's called the strangers. Right. Whereas us is not called them. It's called us. So like that already is a real twist on the genre. And we find out, you know, at the end that Adelaide has been a them the whole time supposedly yeah that's what gabe says when they see them on the television he's like it's them (laughs) right wait when when he sees who on the television the the oh the the news the news yeah there's there's the news like after as they're just like kind of sitting in in the house that they invaded right which is a great the tyler's um, house yeah (laughs) um and they're wondering what to do. And then he also, that's also where the, the home invasion genre becomes a joke, right? Because he says we can home alone this, you know, like he wants to lock yeah. them up in this place where they've murdered all these people right. around all these dead bodies. Right, and right. I don't remember. She says like, you know, scatter Legos or something like that. To, yeah. Uh, micro dismissive. micro machines, the little micro tiny machines. trucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gen Zers know what Blockbuster is more than they know what Micro Machines are, I think. Yeah, the kids are like, what's Home Alone? Or what's a Home Alone? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, <laughs> that is a nice watch it. moment. Um, I do, I always appreciate, uh, as, as an aging person, I appreciate mm-hmm. a, an aging person self-aware of what references may or may not land um, for someone. <laughs> But I don't know. What do you make of that title? Is it just like there's a way of reading it kind of simplistically where it's like, you know, we're all the same or we're the, you know, we're the real Mm -hmm. monsters is the is the super simplistic way of reading that title. But what do you make of that? Is them right in the movie? Right. So um, I think it's that it's 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 them is us and us is them and then it's but it's importantly a play on you know us right i think it's for like, sure it's very much a movie about um all three of his movies are very much movies about america right oh yeah totally <laughs> like, totally they're they're saying that they're 
that is one of the ways they identify themselves, the tethereds, is as Americans, right? Yeah, They don't care oh, about so money. The, Gabe is saying, do you want my wallet? You want my car? Do you want our house? They don't process that. That's not, those aren't important categories to them, but to be an American is, right? So. Right. Well, because those things, the, all those things, you know, when we see at the end of the movie flashbacks to, like, we see the, um, the first boardwalk scene mm-hmm. mirrored underground right. by the tethers. The tether, there's not a whole actual boardwalk under there. There's not a roller coaster under there. It's just people like lining up as if they're on a roller coaster, mm-hmm. throwing their hands in the air. So of course they're not, they don't even know what to do with money. They would barely know what to do with food. Speaking of Lupita, of, of the saying we're Americans and Lupita's mm-hmm. voice. Um, that fuck, that, that performance, I mean, like her, her performance is fucking insane. Like, and, and watching the special features, you realize like they had to make this movie twice. Yeah. You know, like they have to film the quote regular people scenes and then film the tethered scenes. Mm -hmm. And the actors have to react off the performances they remembered from the earlier scene they filmed. But there's a, there's a feature in the special features of just Lupita. It's, it's just while the camera rolling in between takes of that Mm -hmm. scene where the tethers are sitting across from the family in the dark uh, in the living room. And mm-hmm. Lupita is just like sitting there in her fucking red performance. Mm-hmm. And you just see her like breathing in and out. And and you see the like tears streaming down her cheeks, mm-hmm. which is an insane – like it's happening in the actual movie. But to realize that there was just a constant slow <laughs> stream oh, of God. tears coming from her – as she like channels whatever this ancient thing is that feels like it's like climbing her voice to come out. Mm-hmm. It made me think about our discussions of method acting and like, you know, Jeremy strong showing up on the set of the trial of Chicago seven or whatever it is like banging things around or even, I mean, Bill Murray on Royal Tenenbaums, not method acting, but keeping Gene Hackman in line. But yeah. it, it made me think about like the feeling on set yeah. of these movies. And there seems like such a difference to me between being the, the, it, it's just so, to me, it seems so much more valid to do what Lupita is doing because she has to like, this voice is like an unnatural voice. So of course yeah. she has to, she can't just like drop it and be like, Hey guy, can someone get me something from crafty? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then like pick back up as it takes. But that, so it makes so much sense that she holds it in between takes versus these other method acty takes that are just kind of like, you know, the dude being a dick in between scenes and in between days of shooting 
Absolutely. I mean, um, it's method acting is still, I mean, your Meryl Streep's, you know, anything like that, all of these like, um, very celebrated white actresses, um, Helen Mirren, they're all celebrated for their ability to switch on and off, right. To be there on time and to be, um, affable and all of these things that that's so much a part, a part of, um, their prestige and not even really black men are let into, um, Oh, demon of method acting. I was just actually reading about all of the shit that, um, Denzel Washington was facing when he was filming training day. Um, Mm. the NAACP apparently was, um, putting pressure on him, uh, to not do that movie. Because it was a you know a negative, right? Black man, right? A negative mm-hmm. representation of a of a black man and um, jeopardizing his kind of um, like model minority status. elite status, right? In Hollywood, right? Yeah. Um, and his this is secondhand, but his um, response was apparently that you know. Well, De Niro gets to do this. Gene Hackman gets to do this. Mm-hmm. Pacino gets to do this. I'm going to do this. Right? right. And that that's more important to him as a black actor. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he really had to fight to get that. And I would say he's probably one of the only black actors who's kind of associated with that genealogy, yeah. you know? Yeah, totally. And I don't, I don't think he is method, quote unquote. It's just he, um, has a kind of volatile personality and things like that. That's part of his. Right. Well, it's this precariousness of whoever the top, especially in entertainment, the like mm-hmm. top black X, you know? So like comedian, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, there's it's Chris rock. Then it's Chappelle. Then it's mm-hmm. Kevin Hart. I forget. Maybe cat Williams was before Kevin Hart, but you know, it's just yeah. like, and, and and this idea of just like with like any you know non male performer now post Eddie Murphy <laughs> in our post Eddie Murphy world right because all of those guys are going to say Eddie Murphy oh that wait what do you mean that Eddie Murphy is like what? the is the top black man in comedy, well sure right? but you can think about like commercially you know what I mean I'm not I even see. talking about like from a craft perspective but that just okay, like okay. you know the Denzel thing is very much about like like who knows wh- who he if he had to fight any casting agents or I imagine he kind of didn't have to fight necessarily producers or casting agents that fight sounds like it's about media representation yeah. and is he going to be beloved in the media enough for his next movie to still right. allow him the leeway that training day allowed him and so right. like with black comics the idea that oh, like okay. there can only be one who we're glorifying who is the great entertainer of our era and there's just mm-hmm. no room for error in the way that there is like constantly with I mean, even now, like post Me Too, white dudes are getting hella shots. You know what I mean? Like sure, established sure. white dudes. Uh, you know, us up and coming white dudes still would love to take some of those spots from the established <laughs> ones. But, um, but, 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 but I think it happens the same with like actresses, right? Where it's like there's only sure. one, 
you know, Helen Mirren is is the. Well, we get to have a few of the white women. We get to have yes. Meryl Streep. We true, get to have true, Helen true. Mirren. We yeah. get to have you know a Judy few Dench, others. I guess. Yeah. Right. Maybe less now than the dames before, but you know, yeah, exactly. But I think that might be part of what's kind of cool about Lupita Nyong'o's like thing is that she knows that there's already a Viola Davis out there. <laughs> like v- Viola Davis is very much black Meryl Streep, right? Like she's got right. all of the nominations. Right. She's always nominated and she often wins at various things. She's a force and people totally. seem to be able to, I think she is, she is kind of mythologized as a, as a method actress in some ways. Um, but in, in ways that are really fucked up in that, that means that, you know, she's, she's kind of a bitch or she's hard or oh, really? like aggressive. And that those are parts of, you know, her onset kind of interesting um, persona. Um, or just that she's really hardworking, right? There's a sure, kind of like sure. lean-inism or something like that, right? right? right. Um, that, that seems very racialized if we're going to compare her to a Meryl Streep, right? Oh, totally. Um, well, and colorized as well. Like, I absolutely, I think it, one thing that I found really interesting about this movie and I don't know if I have to if I have anything more to say about it other than like it's interesting and seems intentional on Jordan Peele's part but mm-hmm. like it the like you know the the one black actress for a really long time was Halle Berry right and like Halle Berry is a like light skinned very like conforms to like western conceptions of beauty woman Mm -hmm. you know good actress like beautiful woman but like for jordan peele to feature like dark-skinned actors like and and there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of like light-skinned black actors in this movie that i could see and and Mm -hmm. and that felt like a really quietly sort of revolutionary thing as Mm -hmm. well like put Mm -hmm. putting to be like yeah, Lupita is going to be the center of this movie. And her, like, yes, well-off, but very black family is also going to be the center right. of this movie. Um, and there are risky performances in there along the Denzel her lines. performances... Oh, okay, yeah. I well, mean- well, like, uh, the Abra- Gabe, his mm-hmm. tether's name is Abraham, is, like, a tall, hulking black man just, like, grunting... And, like, yeah. getting close to, like, you know, old portrayals of, like, developmentally disabled people. Like, there's, like, real yeah. risk there. But I think he's, like, no, this is what a guy who's been stunted by living underground without would language be. would be like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like the I like the delicate ways in which you start to pick up on all these traits of – of their doppelgangers. Yeah. Um, because they're all, they're all so different. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit. Well, first off, I wanted to say some stuff about Santa Cruz. Okay. Please. Yes, yes, so, yes, yes. I lived there for 12 years. Um, for, because it was where I went to grad school. 
Um, and, and then, you know, I actually continue to teach there, um, though online and, um, it's a really creepy place. I don't know if you've been there. I have, but no, one of my close friends lives there, but I've never been. So I see. Um, there is a creepiness to it, which is why, okay. So the, the movie opens in 1986 and they're going around on the boardwalk, um, and um, Adelaide's mother says they're film that they're filming something, right? Right. right. Was, do you know what that was? Uh, Lost Boys, yeah. Right. Which the is Lost one of the Boys. movies that Jordan Peele considers like he's like, yeah, this, is, this movie is a tr- right. yeah a tribute. To yeah, Lost Boys and exactly. So, um, and you've seen Lost Boys? I've I seen it. I don't remember. I think it was back when I was smoking weed and it was very high. So I, I don't. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah. In Santa Cruz, it's kind of an obligatory thing to to watch every year. It's um, played at the at the Boardwalk Beach. Um, okay. On this, which is actually where that performance, of, like the guy with the saxophone, and he's like oiled up and he's playing saxophone oh it's where yeah. it's at anyways um very memorable go and watch that after, after it's it's <laughs> it's vampires it's 80s leather jacket vampires keeper yes. sutherland and one of the Corys, right, right? or both exactly of the i think so yeah i sure. i don't pay attention to yeah. that nonsense. yeah 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 because I'm not Gen X. <laughs> I'm going to have my moment of being youth. Um, but it's kind of, it's about, it's very clearly about, um, you know, the post-60s. So all these hippie burnouts that are there and they had these right. kids um, in the free love moment and they never really looked after them. And they're just kind of run, running around, <laughs> and some of them are becoming vampires, and some of them yeah. are being abducted by the vampires, and right? Then, you know, um, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting, and, and then the boardwalk is um, basically a character in the film, like it's a really important setting in that film. It's also one of the Dirty Harrys is set there. I forget because oh. I never seen the Dirty Harry movie. Wait, there are more than one Dirty Harry movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Look it up, look it up. There's okay. a bunch. Okay. Okay, but um so it's kind of it it's definitely um a cinematic spot, okay? Yeah. Um and it's a tour, the major tourist destination in Santa Cruz, which is more or less a university town um mm-hmm. that um kind of fluctuates in population over the summer, then there's this huge influx of tourists, all the the students go home or somewhere um and that's it yeah so it's just it's, it just changes character really yeah. dramatically in the yeah. summer i just like that the they boardwalk. go somewhere is like they a, go somewhere you know yeah maybe into the tunnels maybe they become tethered maybe they do yeah um anyways so i wanted to say that but it's also for somebody who lives there right it's a really um depressing part of town because it's mm. almost completely owned by this one property management company seaside um, as is the boardwalk. And this is where pretty much any of the people of color, mostly um, Brown folks working in agriculture. Um, and um, I mean, it's the most densely populated immigrant community, non-white community, um, impoverished community uh in town and it's all owned by this one 
company, fuck Seaside. Anyways, and um, there's all these ice raids that have really impacted that that neighborhood. Um, There was this really important um, community garden that was evicted that was a main source of food for a lot of families that lived there. (sighs) And it's just a really, really kind of depressing part of town um because of um because of that um and in the time that i lived in santa cruz the rent got worse and worse just like everywhere else but right now it is technically the worst or the highest rent county in the united states is in santa cruz county um and in the neighborhood you, I know you said that they were visiting me. The neighborhood where they're staying, I have never been to. It is very much where rich people live or where they have their vacation homes. Oh, you know what that neighborhood is? Yeah. I mean, I know around where it is. Sure, sure, sure. I, I know everywhere it is. Do you know them? You know the Wilsons? I do. No. Um, But right now, I, d- I looked it up this morning. So the median home, pr- median home price in oh, that shit. neighborhood is $3.1 million. Um, and the average rental for a 700 square foot apartment is 3,300 a month. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, what would you say it is where you live? Well, well, you can tell what my class is by my bigger reaction to the apartment rental. (laughs) I'm like a home price, 3.1 million. I've heard that that's what, what do people spend on homes? I don't know. Um, well, You've been to my apartment. How many square feet would you say? A little under 700, maybe? I'd say it's about that. Actually, I think it's actually pretty... So we... It's like a a big one bedroom. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, Yeah. totally. We pay 1,200. And we... I mean, I'm not asking you to give me your details. I don't care. (laughs) I wasn't trying to be intrusive like that. That's not intrusive to me. Whatever. We pay 1,200. In Chicago, it's like... Yeah, it's in Chicago... Uh, I, I, to me, like I pay $600 a month of rent. I could not afford to live here if I had to be by myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, so right. 30, what you said, 3,300 a month. Mm-hmm. Jeez. For a one bedroom or studio. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild stuff. So in, uh, in Santa Cruz, which is, so UCSC is very dependent on, adjunct labor like myself Mm, mm -hmm. many adjuncts like myself do not live in santa cruz because it is not affordable to live especially well when i became a remote worker in the pandemic i couldn't afford to live there because of space um and most of my colleagues don't live in town right um and grad students are making when i was in grad school I was making $1,700 a month, nine months a year. Oof. <laughs> so yeah. I think my salary says it was 16800 was my salary. Um, yeah. And um, so there's basically no way to live live on your own. You have to live in these collective houses. Absolutely. Right. right. Um being single is tremendously difficult. Um, and so a lot of people are also homeless and I've had a lot of students who are homeless or living in their cars or living between a few different places or living in the woods. And these are just things that, um, you grow accustomed to, um, 
in Santa Cruz is just part of the culture there. Um, so it's, what I really like about the movie is that it knows this about Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. right? It's not buying into this kind of, you know, boardwalk tourist destination. Um, right, 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 right. What, what, what meant many people, you know, just associate with Santa Cruz, right? Is, is that scene in Lost Boys or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's really turning that upside down um in really cool ways um and it's i was really struck by it when this movie came out um jasmine who's been on our show but she's my best friend she's a black woman who lives in new mexico she's not not used to being a minority or you know yeah at all but she went to santa cruz once to visit me and said that she never wanted to go back again that it was um, the most like toxic racist place that she'd ever visited me at. <laughs> I Whoa. Like, I wow. understand because, and it's where I was working and going to school. So I was living yeah. there, but, um, there's a weird, I mean, people talk about California nice and it kind of sure. explodes that it's like, this is this beautiful place on the beach. You can hear sea lions all over. There's the redwood forest. It's beautiful and gorgeous. So idyllic. But it's also um, a place where the homeless crisis is really, really pronounced and um, contentious. There's a lot of really ugly anti-homeless um, rhetoric that you know is all oh, over I can and imagine. yeah nonsense. Um, anything that interferes with this pristine, beautiful, like beach paradise tourist town. Um, kind of persona um, is deeply alienated and antagonized. Um, and yeah, it's a really conflictual place for all these reasons. Um, so I felt like that was one thing I really felt satisfied about um, mm-hmm. each time I watch it. And it's why I've, um, I think three times I've, I've assigned this in a class that I teach on film. Oh, nice. And um, always, find my students reactions to this very interesting because it it's it's telling a story of Santa Cruz that you you know viscerally if you if you're just spending one day there right but it's really in contrast to what i imagined when i went there and what i wanted it to be because it, that's all very colored by the 60s the 60s mythology sure of, of, sure um you know, it's where the first acid tests were and, and things like that. So. Okay. Well, what do you think it says about um, family? What What does this movie say about family? And the, and the, mm-hmm. the us and them thing also applies, you know, and I, I like watched interviews with Jordan Peele and, and mm-hmm. he talked about, and, and a lot of people talk about the... I mean, it's a very, like, the family, the Wilsons themselves are this very, like, kind of perfect, individualized, neoliberal entity in some ways, where they are, Mm -hmm. like, you know, they very much believe it. This is not a family abolitionist family. This is a, like, very strong, like, uh, ourselves above all others Right. sorts of sort of story um yeah what do you make of that in the movie 
Well, it is it is a lot about this ideal of the family, mm-hmm. which is super white supremacist. And so however much they are thinking themselves as family mm-hmm. and trying to be <laughs> this picture of a family, right? Yeah. They're not. And and that's also an interesting friction in the movie, you know, because when we're talking about family abolition, we're not really talking about this family, are we? <laughs> like, we're thinking right. about, I mean, because this family, they're sticking together not, um, not out of some aspirational, like, professional vision of success or, like, landing it in the suburbs very quickly into the movie, right? It's actually, like... I mean, Gabe's a little aspirational uh, with, like, no, purchases in the beginning. and... Sure. In the beginning, but then it gets stripped down completely to just bare survival. Like mm-hmm. we are we are family, but we're also comrades. We are we are going to have each other's backs. We're gonna survive this if sure. we stick together. Sure. Right. And there's that interesting moment when they go to the Tyler's house and and I just wanna have a we don't need to talk about Tim Heidecker too much, but <laughs> your favorite such a great yeah. I love Tim Heidecker and it's such a great performance. It is good. Um he answers the door and she knows he doesn't say anything or she knows immediately that he is not him. Yeah. Right. And she just kills him yeah. you know? <laughs> like, yeah. just immediately. Yeah. Right. Um, and at that point we don't know this whole subplot with red that she is actually red. Right. But she just, yeah. her instincts might've been um the way in which she works with her instincts becomes more and more an interesting element of the plot. Um, totally. After that, after that point, but she just knows immediately, you know, you're not one of us, whatever us is, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but they went there thinking that they were kind of us, right. Or they're, they're, they're friends. In right. Some way, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. However alienated they feel or much they want to assimilate to that idea mm-hmm. of a family. They are not that, um, so I found that interesting. Um, okay, I wanted to read this quote, though, um, on this topic from Jordan Peele. And he was asked um, kind of about this. And he said, one of the central themes in us is that we can do a good job collectively of ignoring the ramifications of privilege. I think it's the idea that what we feel like we deserve comes at the expense of someone else's freedom or joy. Mm-hmm. The biggest disservice we can do as a faction with a collective with a collective privilege like the United States is to presume that we deserve it and that it isn't luck that has us born where we're born for us to have our privilege someone suffers that's where the tethered connection i think resonates the most is that those who suffer and those who prosper are two sides of the same coin you can never forget that we need to fight for the less fortunate um but I do think that really captures something about what it means to be an American is that however well off you feel yourself to be or not well off, it's always in relation to how well off or not well off someone else is, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that this is how this is how family works, right? That's like how those feelings are organized, basically, into social units that the family it serves to cut you off from that awareness yeah it's like how 
yeah, however well we are, we're doing within our family is, you know, what matters the most, right? But we also have a sense that that is always inexorably at the cost of someone else outside of it, right? Who we don't have to see or think about or interact with. Right. But- well, and I think there's a way in which the family serves to tokenize efforts to help other people. Like, my, mm-hmm. you know, growing up sort of middle class in a in a white family and being exposed to, you know, I, I spent the majority of my like young adulthood in Oklahoma. So in, in like, in like sort of middle class suburbs. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until we like went on vacation. Like I remember we went to like Seattle to visit uh, extended family that I remember our, my like first real interaction with a homeless guy. And my dad had this whole, like my dad gave him some money or no, didn't give him money. Like was like, uh, was like, I prefer to get someone food rather than money, which at the time made sense to me. Cause, cause, cause it was this logic of like, well, you don't know what they're going to spend it on. And, and I can keep someone from spending it on, you know, quote, something they don't need. Um, you know, it's, it's well motivated, but it's just very wrong minded. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And so it's like, I remember those, but like, it was almost like my dad was serving as like an arm of our family. Like this is Mm -hmm. our family's approach to seeing a homeless person. Like Mm -hmm. you try to help. You try to feed them, but you don't give them money. And it's this way of just like, um, just it it ties to the hands across America thing (coughs) as a tokenistic effort to like Mm -hmm. make change. Cause I was reading about hands across America and you know, the whole thing is people are like, oh, this is a fucking empty symbol. And it was like half of their budget was spent on like the marketing and the making of the music video and all this stuff. But I more than half of it. Oh, really? But so they aimed to raise 50 to 100 million. But they got like 34. And right? they just got 34. Right. And but then only 15 million ended up going to charity okay. because 19 million was right. put into into those yeah, costumes. yeah. So, so yes, technically more than that's half. That's wild. I mean, but did you what read the thing that Reagan said about it? Mm-mm. So okay, apparently, like eventually, going to change my mind. No, of course, but, but like <laughs> eventually, a like he kind of joins hands in the event on the White House lawn. But oh, even a week before he was president, and he said, "I don't believe that there is anyone going hungry in America." by reason of denial or lack of ability to feed them. It is by people not knowing where or how to get this help. So basically just going, there's not a problem. It, pe- people don't, they don't want to, you know, bootstraps. They don't, they don't want to help themselves, yeah. you know? And it's like, yeah, the, the family, I feel like serves to do that as well. I'm, I'm not like making the final connection of how families serve to treat homelessness in this way, but maybe you can, or maybe you 
have a sense of what I'm saying? Well, it has a disciplining function, right? It's a kind of way of policing people and their behaviors and their decisions. And so it becomes, I mean, access to family becomes a, or inaccess to family becomes a form of punishment often for non-normative family members if they are in one and then yeah not having those that access from the from the start um kids coming up in foster care and things like that right um is also effectively criminalized right right so um i do think that that's um that's an aspect of of the family so the family comes in to um enforce these ideals of white supremacy um sexual norms gender norms mm-hmm. right private property relations um it's the kind of mechanism that um well and there's also a like there but for the grace of god go i mm-hmm. sort of thing where it's like you're you're tokenizing people by almost being like a you, you, or you know what it is it is family against like there are starving kids in china like why, why don't you finish your dinner right sort of thing where it's like them the them whether it's the starving kids whether it's the homeless person are all like lessons to teach the children in the family like if you're not yes. good you could be one of these, uh, right. not what, what, what is the word when someone's like a lesson for someone else? Like, a uh, not a charity case, not a, uh, a cautionary, cautionary tale. tale. Yes. Thank I you. See, thank okay. you. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's some other time where you needed me to tell you that cautionary really tale. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, maybe maybe I need to learn Jordan... more from cautionary tales. <laughs> maybe I, I guess too. so. We'll we'll set that aside for now, yeah. but that is what Jordan Peele is talking about, right? Is this I mean the there are children starving in Africa right. line that that gets doled out at the dinner table. Have you seen the Hands Across it's, America commercial? Yes. Dude, it's fucking hor- just the way just kids saying I I want food. Like I I wish things were better is is like I mean We've gotten much so better. So let's hold hands. Yeah. Right? It's like, that is not the answer to any of this. And so I think, but it, but it's, it's, it's um, affirming this thing that, that Peel is talking about that like, we have to understand ourselves in relate, like in relation to other people's suffering. Like that is the only mm-hmm. thing that like actually holds us together as a coherent family is the fact of right. these starving children right, in Africa. Right. right, right? right, right, right. <laughs> it's like, um, and that really is baked in to, especially this Reagan era, American sensibility that totally. red, um, identifies herself as. Yeah. Well, I um, also, one thing that I thought was funny and then I'll let hands across America go, uh, is cause I was like, I was like, did they really get people in every spot? Like what it was like, where did people travel to certain spots? And it turns out they had like ribbons or rope to, which is also funny that they even went to that 
ex- like to extent to be like, okay, we're gonna put rope or ribbon there in like you know the deserts and stuff. But the really funny thing to me, especially with regards to class and race, is um, that according to the Los Angeles Times, there were huge gaps in the line in some of the dodgier sections of East LA and volunteer efforts to recruit people from their front porches to join the chain didn't generate any interest. So there are like Mm -hmm. people who probably on some level, the organizers of the event are like trying, they're like, they're probably like, you're the people we're trying to help, you know? And they're just like, I don't want to have any fucking thing to do with this. Like these people can sense the paternalism and just bullshit of the whole mm-hmm. event. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does seem like a very white middle yeah, class yeah. 80s phenomenon. Um, all of those things that you're talking about, all these charity, this like yeah, this yeah. global charity moment, right. you know. Um, no, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say what was wild about that commercial to me is that is is that we've gotten so much better like it was so blunt like commercials mm-hmm. for something like that now would never like just have a needy a quote needy kid saying like what they need like we see that on like bus stops maybe but like media it's a lot more like slick it would be like portraying its its benefit to you or something so it was very mm-hmm. unsettling just to have like a supposedly like poor or hungry kid be like I'm poor and or hungry. Yeah. 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 I mean, it reminds me of all of those um, infomercials in the 90s that I would always see, you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh, the like, uh, well, I guess the Sarah McLaughlin one was the uh, the animals. With, yeah. yeah. Animals. But, but uh, yeah. Sponsor a kid yeah. in Africa, that sort of thing. Yeah, they were really upsetting. It would often make me make me cry, but the children didn't have um they never spoke or anything like that. It was always the kind of missionary Right. I don't know. I wish I remembered the details, but clearly <laughs> I tried to forget them. Right. But then also so weird where I'd be like watching, you know, like late night with Conan and then it would cut to that because mm-hmm. you know, it was it was always on late night, right? These right. minute long infomercials. So I don't know. I don't even know if it's an. It was technically an infomercial. It was just one of these things. But that that it it brought all of that back to mind. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about white rabbits because you know, not just the fatal attraction. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Which I don't think it is. <laughs> There's a lot of intertextuality in this. I yeah. I don't think that that's about fatal attraction. I don't think I it do is. Think but it would be an, cool if it was. I think it's an Alice in Wonderland thing, though. Yes, 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 yes. I think right? he even says um, that it's supposed to be does, an Alice okay. in Wonderland. Yeah, so what did you think about... Yeah, I, and we can bring it back to the deer in Get Out mm-hmm. and the rabbit in this. They seem to be doing very, very similar work. Although in Get Out, the deer is very clearly like... They hit the deer, then you realize Chris's... Um, mother, Chris's mother's death, right, is um, recalled and very much what he was experiencing with that deer, right, right, right. Not leaving this deer to die, and then take. Oh my gosh, taxidermy again. Whoa, yeah, but these aren't 
the way he mur- they're not. But these are stu- stuffed. The stuffed head. Oh, I guess they're stuffed. Yeah, in uh, in Allison Williams. Isn't that technically taxidermy? House. Is it probably? Yeah. So mounting. Yeah, I, I mean, so I think it's good that the mounted we head of a buck. That. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. a mounted head of a buck, and then he kills, um, you know, lacrosse boy Josh from West Wing. <laughs> Sorry, oh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking of the, the son, but yeah. And he kills him with the with the uh, antler. He just right. like rams the thing mm-hmm. into him. Mm-hmm. Amazing. There's that great way in which each act of the movie, the deer has this kind of mm. um, explanatory function, right? Yeah. Because Chris doesn't really get to say what he's feeling ever, right? And so we're doing that a lot. We're we're looking to the deer as this way to um explain some of what what's unspoken, right? Totally. The white rabbits though, I did not feel like it was as coherent a uh, a metaphor. For sure. Know? Yeah. What were you thinking about how to make yeah how to make well sense of it. you know at the beginning that like the opening credits are like so long on a on the rabbits and just this on these caged rabbits zoom right? Out, this right wall of caged rabbits of the rabbits right and then by the end as red and adelaide are in their final sort of sort of like a duel um i i actually was thinking about like as an actor like God damn, like some of these are these rabbits being placed in like CGI or did they actually have to like step around and choreograph around these rabbits as they're just kind of free hopping everywhere. But you know, the point being that they're like all let out, you know, and and they're mm-hmm. they're just kind of like left to their own devices, but their purpose for the tethered is food. That seems to right. be all they eat ma- is raw rabbit. Raw rabbit. Blech, which is just rough So stuff. gross. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the rabbits seem like the tethered in mm-hmm. some ways. Mm-hmm. But they don't, they, they serve such a specific clear purpose of feeding the tethered as opposed to it's hard to use them as like pure symbol, you know. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this is so hard to puzzle out kind of just like makes me, and and the fact that I don't know if I believe that there is like a single correct answer is part mm-hmm. of what I love about this movie. Yes, and then let's just think about the chimpanzee for a moment, and Nope, right? Who seems to be. The next iteration of this. Yeah, pattern, when does the chimpanzee right? come in in Nope? Oh, see, that's the only one I didn't rewatch. For that's this. okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. Yeah, I yeah. think that there's there's something in the big. I think it's a similar thing where there. Oh wait, yes. Oh my god, it's in act, the it's in the like right? on the TV set. Right, right, right. Yes. Right. So there's but there's like each act that like unfolds more and more. Mm-hmm. Right. So they return to it. Um. But I think that yeah, I think it is a it is a through line in the movie. Oh, just for a, sure, just as this yes. right. Um, yeah, and then the fact that in the last scene, Jason has brought one of the the rabbits with him, right, is also oh, pretty. Oh, I didn't catch that. This incredible. Time. Yeah, yeah. He has a he has a white rabbit in his lap when that scene happens that we were talking about before, where he 
confirms for us that he knows yeah. who See, this is the problem. Who his moms are. Our <laughs> yeah. Our screen, our like big TV screen, like died. And so we've had to watch everything on laptop screens. And when you're watching mm-hmm. shit on laptop screen with someone else, it's like you have mm-hmm. to watch it further away than you normally do. So I'm missing things like the rapid. Um, You're going to love how I watch this. Um, I woke up at 530 this morning. Okay. Because I had a full house of people. Yeah. S- several of whom are too young to see this movie. Right. And so all of my time, the last few days, I've been wondering, when am I going to watch Us? Like, how am I going to figure out yeah. how to watch Us yeah. in a way that's not going to traumatize people? So I watched it with my noise-canceling headphones on a cell phone. Oh, my God. Holding it very close to my face. <laughs> but... And my, my headphones are amazing. Yeah. But... um. It was weird to have to hold it close to my face. the The first time I saw it was in a theater. So yeah, well, I'm sure there's people. Our, our whole criticism but... is just invalidated by by being like terrible media consumers. The way we watch oh, whatever. this. Movie. <laughs> hey, whatever. Hey, it's not me. I'm not saying it. I'm inventing imaginary people for us. Yeah, to... I know. There's always those guys. I hate those guys. We don't have any of but... those guys in our in our audience. No, probably not. We only not, have honestly, hip like so. Gen Z people who know who also know Gen about Zs. blockbusters, just cool kid wearing big baggy cool, cool khakis, kids. you know? I one thing I wanted to say about kids is um both of the kids in this movie are incredible actors. I was trying to think of when I've seen child acting this good mm-hmm. and I, I honestly can't remember like they're so good fatal attraction that's that's the last no line. ellen is <laughs> <laughs> i mean if we think about that what i liked about her was that she was kind of it was these scenes were very naturalistic yeah. right and you could tell they're mostly improvised totally, or totally. that there was something like yeah. that and she wasn't having to give these, you know, canned lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, these there's precision these, here. So much precision. Yeah. I mean, they're having to do, and a lot of it is choreography. A lot of it is like being able to say four or five different things with your face, mm-hmm. you know, without without lines. I mean, I'm I really like that. I mean, Jason, the little boy, he's given a little bit of a crutch with this, like mask Mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. but then every time that he unmasks himself it's so powerful that it's not it's not actually um something he's relying on as a performer i don't i don't feel yeah totally so um i see as that was probably a safe move for jordan peele to do is to have this little eccentricity where he's always wearing these masks and unmasking himself but sure i also kind um, of like the fact that uh, there's no way that as a horror fan jordan peele didn't think about the fact that he has a character named jason who wears a mask you know like that was that was kind of a nice little touch but i thought it was the it was the daughter for me who was like like Mm -hmm. i thought the kid who played jason was very good was really really good but the one who Mm -hmm. i'm like this is a fucking special actor was the daughter, Zora. Yeah, Zora. Uh, Shahadi Wright Joseph. Shahadi Wright Joseph. Yeah. 
and Jason is Evan Alex. Let's just give them Of course, give them their flowers their, for sure. Of course. I mean, um I hope to see them in more things. But she I was guess. like and and Jordan Peele even said that um I, I wish we knew cuz like all these tethered characters have names, but you mm-hmm. like don't hear hear them I think ever spoken in the movie. Like Zora's tethered character's name is Umbre and I'm like Man, I wish I had known that without, but I guess like having to look it up is, is a fun part of it. Um, yeah. but like Jordan Peele said that Umbre is like the scariest character in the movie to him. And I am inclined mm. to agree. I mean, the way she is able to like lean her head down and stare and just start yeah. fucking sprinting after people is like, yeah, yeah terrifying. Yeah. It's incredible. So wait, I want to. So she was born in two thousand five. Okay. Shahadi Wright Joseph. She was fucking fourteen, thirteen or fourteen when this movie was being made. Yeah, that's why it would seem probably thirteen. Uh huh. I mean, that's just incredible. Um, how how much responsibility she has in this movie, you know, mm-hmm. and um. And how easily she could be overshadowed, especially by Lupita Nyong'o. Oh, totally. And she isn't. I would say maybe he is, you know. um, Evan? No. um, Oh, Winston Duke? Winston Duke, excuse me, yeah. Who I really like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mean, so many of these performances, I mean, like... and, And the performances of Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out and nope as well like jordan peele just has this way of working with these actors who fucking anchor i mean i think daniel kaluuya might be the best actor alive right now um (laughs) yeah no he's really and and in get out the way the way he he has to constantly laugh instead of saying mm -hmm. what he actually wants to say and it's Mm -hmm. so brilliant the way these like white people are just saying the most insane shit to him. And he's like, (laughs) yeah, I'm good. And you're like, there's so much in the, in those lines, you know, small things. And then the way he kind of can slide between comic, tragic. Oh yeah. Action hero. Nope. I mean, he, he's the perfect actor for, he's um, yeah. For appeal to be working with. Right. And because of that. Lupita obviously is incredible. And, and the, and the split performance is so, but I'm, but I'm also interested in the, well, maybe her performance is a way to talk about the transformation and, and fluidity between red and Adelaide. Like, because mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering, right, this reveal at the end that, like, Red and Adelaide switched places. And, but if you think about it, in terms of time, the original Red is more Adelaide than the original Adelaide. Like, she spent, like, decades as Adelaide. So who is the original, like, and what does it mean to be a tethered if like and and, it, and I think it makes sense too because like Lupita Nyong'o is the one who like speaks mm-hmm. for these te- none of the other tethers really like say any they laugh 
sometimes, you know, or like grunt, but she's the one who has words, which clearly comes from the fact that she like spent the first right. however many years of her life talking. Right. But other than that, I don't know, just like what is the difference between these characters to you? Like like what what would it mean? What does it mean that Red survives at the end? Versus if the original Adelaide survived Mm -hmm. at the end. Well, I think that's one of the things I was really noticing this time is um, how, how unique it is as a horror film. It is spot on horror film, I would say. Yeah. But there is a certain point after the, after the home invasion when you start figuring out who the tethered are that you don't know who to be rooting for, right? Mm -hmm. Or you feel conflicted about who you are rooting Mm -hmm. for, Mm -hmm. right? And um, I really like that about this. Um, And so I think there is no end, you know, end point where Adelaide becomes red or vice versa, right? I think... And that is what tethered means. And so there's something that's really cool about what's that, what that's doing with the bullshit of hands across America, right? Is it's like throwing back at hands across America, this, um, this like very, uh, kind of revolutionary, sense of entanglement and like mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. plurality and de-individuation like that we're all kind of in bound up in each other right well and it shows um, there's that, something kind of like, subjectificating about it hmm. Go ahead. yeah yeah well it, i mean it shows that like given the resources any of the tethereds could become you know right. quote-unquote functioning members of society Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think that 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 works best in her case for these reasons that you're bringing up. But, um, yeah. I mean, okay. So with Umbre when she dies, yeah. that is this also a really poignant moment where, um, we can just tell that she had no sense of what else to be doing right Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't coming from an evil place of wanting to terrorize these people she was she was compelled and was just working off of that right um like there's nothing evil about that right Mm. Mm -hmm. except that you view threats to your life as evil of course, but that's, I mean, that's what's complicated about it, right? Yeah. Is that um, you're kind of forced to to think about what's driving her and um, where she's coming from in, in ways that have no basis in dialogue or any, it's just completely um, physicalized. And um, I found that really profound. And I had, I had actually really forgotten about that that sequence in the film and when she's I, I think I stuck agree through that she's with the tree and hanging upside down and looking at Lupita and 
kind of mm-hmm. laughing and is she like grasping for her? I forget exactly. She's grasping for her because yeah, again, it's like, that's what she's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's what she's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. There's no kind of thinking or being outside of that. Right? right. And then laughing because also she doesn't, she doesn't really know what's happening to her. Right. <laughs> like She's just um, working through this momentum that she's been given. Um, by red, right? But we don't know that at that point. But um, yeah, I found that very interesting. Abraham, I'm like, this is a less interesting doppel. He's my least favorite yeah, doppelganger, yeah, for sure. But I do appreciate what you're saying about the riskiness of that, mm-hmm. and that there is this kind of similar force confrontation with this is this horrible stereotype. You know, sure. Well, and um, it's also interesting to me the that the interesting thing to me about Abraham is just the stuff that Red is saying in that confrontation in the living room about how because they are tethered to Gabe and Adelaide, they have to get married, you know, or they have to be together. So they're just forced by the function of being tied to the movements of the people above. That means like, mm-hmm. oh, we're married now you know um it and that is like the really horrifying thing and so you kind of get from abraham's the the like the the way in which abraham is such a distasteful character you kind of understand red's like damn red has just been red who spent her the first nine years of her life or however long as adelaide like a person who lived above now has to like just take this like monster as their partner is, is mm-hmm. yeah. Wild to consider. <sighs> yeah. Well, it's, a, it's, it's such an interesting movie and I'm really glad that you wanted to watch it. Um, every time I watch it, I, I get a little deeper into some of the stuff like the hands across America stuff was really, um, getting to me this time. I I was just looking, noticing from the first scene, how then you hear the mini Ripperton song that comes in in the Mm -hmm. end, but it's like made into some kind of like eighties commercial music, you know, background music and that that's layered on and all of these wonder, I mean, it is these moments are tethered together Mm -hmm. (laughs) quite wonderfully. And, And to think about the relationship between the three movies as being tethered as opposed to some bullshit, like the multiverse or something that people are trying to make it into. Yeah. yeah. I think if anything, his next movie needs to actively respond to that. And I think it, it could be something. I think his next movie needs to be whatever he wants it to make. I think I trust him. I I do too. I, I want him to, to, to subvert, anything or play into exactly whatever he wants to do no one has a perfect filmography but i mean there are people who watched this movie that like hated that that um bible verse jeremiah 11 11 or whatever they're like Mm -hmm. i i I was listening to some podcast and someone was like if you're gonna have that in there at least like you know show us what that says like, don't make us have to go look it up. And I'm like, what the fuck are you... T-? Like, everything has to be just completely explained? That, like, 
if that's the level of demand we're getting from an audience where they're like, I refuse to even look up a a Bible verse. Right. Fuck that audience, you know? No, totally. Fuck that audience. But I think that, so sure, approach this as a site of complex interpretation and analysis. Yeah. How do you do that without getting conspiratorial? And I do think Mm. that that's what's brilliant again about nope and maybe i mean i can i also agree with you jordan peele knows what he's doing and if he decides to like nose dive way further into conspiracy land um to to work through this awesome i'm down um i just think that that's um something that this is yeah this is flirting with nope taunts right is this kind of conspiratorial mindset. And I think you're right. What you should get out of this movie is not some stupid theory about like why there were rabbits and how they were doing the tests (laughs) and what those involved. You're supposed to come out of this being like, holy shit, this is a really scathing critique of America and like what it means to be a quote American. Right. And um, that includes like, white supremacy and um, these really toxic ideas of like wealth and class and success and vacation culture that are like, you know, is, yeah. they're just eviscerated throughout. Right. That's what we're supposed to be taking through it. Like fuck the rabbits in some way. <laughs> yes, and I totally. think he, he's always seemed to be, uh, and somebody would, who's, who is a conspiracy theorist would just say, you know, Oh, well that's cause you haven't, you're too lazy to figure the whole thing out. But I think he does just give you like 80%. Yeah, right? of course. And he's like, I'm not going to, ex- and you don't need that from me. Right? Well, the thing so- I love about that, I think it's like Sarah Rule, the playwright who like, but I'm sure so many other authors have talked about this, but about like, you know, people asking her like, what is this play about? Like what, you know? And she's like, well, if I could say what it was about, I wouldn't have to write the play. And I don't write mm. this play for you to see it and then, like, form an opinion right away and be done with it. Mm-hmm. Like, you're trying to, like, uh, to, to, to lodge something in someone that they have to pick at or, like, wrestle with. And I think that's mm-hmm. why us, it, that's why, like, uh, I mean, I think Get Out is a masterpiece. And I'm rare to, to make the favorite best dichotomy. I tend to be like, my favorite is the best. But I mm-hmm. I might be willing to say that Get Out is a, quote, better, tighter, certainly a tighter movie than Us. But Us, I like it more because it lodges – I like it just a little bit more because it lodges in you in that way where you're having mm-hmm. to puzzle it out. So, like, of course mm-hmm. give us 80%. It's not even possible. People would invent extra percentages even if you gave 100%. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I pre- I appreciate it about about this film a lot. Um and and nope. And one of the things I like about it is how it's imagined spatially too. Like I was noticing in Get Out there's the basement. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it's the discovery going into the house and then being in the house and then discovering the basement like totally. going down below, totally. right? And that um 
you know, there's also the, the fallen place or the sunken place, mm-hmm. right. And that, and that stuff. But, um, and then with the tunnels, this kind of subterranean imaginary of, of both of those movies yeah. is really, really, um, striking. And then I love that the response of that is then like, go to space. Yeah. You know, yeah. In the totally. Dirt, right? Totally. Um, go to the desert, go to space. Um, so they're very, they're in, they're interesting landscapes. Right. And I was starting to think of them, um, a lot more in those terms, um, narratively, right. It's like, he's like, creating this space for you to kind of inhabit. And you're not going to have this bird's eye view. You're not going to have a a totalizing comprehensive um, map of what this is. It's more about, you know, how you roam in it and like what you pick up each time you do that, right? You notice different things. And yeah, I find that a really impressive element of his of his work. So, well, I'm so Jeremiah eleven eleven. Yes, I'm just please, say please, is, please. Yes, because I don't know anything about this, and I I know that you grew up in some religious. Well, did you what what translation stuff, did you use? Because so. I looked at it differently. I looked at it in the um in the what's it called new international version, and it is not nearly as severe and tight as okay. What is it? There? The, well, new international version. Let's let's see is um is therefore this is what the lord says i will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape although they cry out to me i will not listen to them but yeah. you go to the king james version and that's where shit oh. that's the that is the horror movie version of the bible uh, okay, what is that? Okay, what is that King one? James Version says, um, oh wait, this is, oh yeah, I have to, you have to press, look up, fucking Bible Gateway, it's taking, taking its sweet time. Okay, here we go. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. It's just so much more metal than than the other one, you know? Evil. I will bring evil onto them, not disaster. Right, right. And I won't yeah. hearken as opposed to listen. It's just like, mm-hmm. and all the therefores and saiths, you know what I mean? Give me a oh, saith yeah. rather than a what the Lord says, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, but so sorry. I that was that was just my uh, Dave's Bible Gateway translation corner. But what were you saying? About no, that? I like I like that. I wanted to. I just wanted to pick your brain about it. Um, but uh, I didn't. I didn't really think about it as much. Um, well, you know what? The previous few times I watched it, you know what I'm connecting right? with mm-hmm. now is that moment of the ballet when to me that moment feels key because that's when red is no right. longer controlled by the movements of Adelaide up top. Right. Um and she says it's God. She says she saw God. And so yeah. if if this if we're taking this verse God is speaking you know red is God. G- God is speaking from the perspective of like you know evil upon them them mm-hmm. is the people up top, 
I think. You know what I mean? Hmm. And like um they're the ones who won't be able to skate escape. Uh so Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if us is supposed to be the people up top, that Bible verse is twisting that on its head and turning mm-hmm. us into the tethered and the family into them. Yeah, I like that. And that was I guess that was a much more succinct um version of what I was about to say. Like, whoa, whoa, this blew my mind in terms of what it uh, explained so early on in yeah. the in the film. Yeah. But again, not something that I think necessarily um would be tracking the first time. Yeah, of course. Right? Um just how that works. And then, you know, that they that the tethered ap- appear at 11:11, right? Oh, at 11.11, when the clock reads 11.11. Yeah, exactly. Do Wait, do they? Because there's the... Yeah. there. But there's an 11.11 during the daytime, too, right? On the clock? There's one of those, but then that evening, they come back, and it's 11.11. Oh, and, cool. And um, Jason and Adelaide notice that. Nice, nice. Right before Jason's like... There's a family outside. Yeah, yeah. And I also really like, um, speaking of family, that that sequence where, you know, you can barely see these figures, mm-hmm. but he somehow knows it's family, right? And it mirrors the the bumper sticker. Yes, they have, totally. The, the, the family holding hands. I was just going to say, yeah. Um, that the family is a, like a mini unit of hands across america uh-huh. <laughs> like <these> bullshit <laughs> totally totally um, but then i wrote this down like gabe says it is a family y'all are scared of a family and then jason says it's us <laughs> it's like oh my god <laughs> what beautiful like the the um incredible precision of the dialogue um yeah. you know he doesn't waste a beat Everything is just so tight. Mm-hmm. And I agree with the messiness, but there's also that sense of control and precision. Oh, throughout. the messiness right. is of, you know, how to make symbol- sense of the yes, whole symbolism thing, right? and it's a nightmare. Right, exactly. Right. It's a nightmare. So you aren't you aren't supposed to be able to fully make sense of it. Right. Um and um it is supposed to stir things in the unconscious or these underworlds or mm-hmm. subterranean things. You know, it's it's um it's quite lovely. So, I um, I don't I don't have a huge amount to say beyond what we've already said, but I want to point anyone who's interested in reading about this to Joanna Isaacson's essay called "Beach Blanket Barbarism," which is a much more um, kind of personal account of um, living in Santa Cruz and mm. watch seeing this film as a local in Santa Cruz. But all obviously also coming from, you know, this feminist horror critic. Um, and so she's writing a lot about like some of the local stuff that she does around mutual aid groups. Um, this movie came out right before this, um, or right after this, um, mass eviction of this huge, mm. um, encampment. And, um, so it was very unsettling to see it, um, I think, I mean, it was like a week after or something like that. So um, I wish I'd looked back on the exact dates of it. So that's a great essay, Beach Blanket Barbarism 
which I'm tempted to just steal as my genre reveal, but oh, okay, well, it's okay. You can, I won't. you can, you That's can steal. plagiarism. Uh, we can plagiarize whatever. We're not we, oh, free cool. yourself from okay. the university, man. You're you're out there. But before oh, we... you can plagiarize outside of the university. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. That's but I refreshing. I want to. I have one other thing that actually ties to what you were just talking about the mutual aid and stuff. I want to mm-hmm. ask you if there is an organizing lesson that we can take from Red. Because after Red has this moment w- in the dance, then w- we get this little uh, – wh- why am I forgetting the word for montage? A little bit of a montage. Yes, a yeah. montage. <laughs> a cautionary tale of a montage. No, that, it's a montage. That is, <laughs> it's not a cautionary tale. It is all of the people <laughs> – like it it seems like that's when they start to wear the red overalls yeah. and everything and she's like the whipping them into shape right and so it's like yeah. to me and if at the end we see the tethered forming the hands across america i would like to believe that the tethered are actually able to complete the chain and the tethered are doing like a real version of hands across america like what is the less is there a lesson an organizing lesson we can learn from red and and what is it i think there's okay i mean it's a similar problem of leadership right like she is very much a kind of authoritarian yeah or charismatic <laughs> um, leader sort of charismatic leader yeah. right and and the way that she tells the story is that right that that was her idea she was an divine inspiration um you know maybe god i guess god was involved but um <laughs> but she decides that this is going to happen and plans it and coordinates with the tethereds right mm-hmm. and it kind of in some ways maybe this would be a political critique i haven't like really engaged with but To her, it doesn't seem to matter what the tethereds think. She is thinking for them because yeah. they can't really think for themselves. Totally, right? Totally. They don't know what's going on. She's the only one who does. Um, there's a little bit of a Plato's cave kind of a thing mm-hmm. going on, right? Um, where she's supposed to draw all of them out from the cave, right? Um, but Plato is also a fascist. No, I'm just, <laughs> anyways, um. No, but but there's a there's a really it's a for a movie that's so profoundly uh, about like deindividuation and collectivity, there is a little bit of a an issue there in terms of like yes, her own conception self-conception as a leader and actually kind of what the narrative lets us think happened, right? That she was just that powerful that she could control all of it. Right, right. However, then she dies, right? Mm-hmm. And her plan is still True. Unfolding, true. True. Right. And so it made me curious about what would happen in terms of um yeah, the collective power of the of the tethereds. You're right. There is a version of this where it's like maybe they just hold hands, but I think they also <laughs> murder a bunch of Oh people, hell yeah, of right? course, totally. <laughs> and start fire. Well they have to murder and, to even get you know, to the place in the desert where they can hold hands. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that is yeah. a I don't think it's a purely positive organizing lesson. I think the the dangers of a charismatic leader are definitely part of the lesson. But to me, the organizing lesson I take 
is about the power and it's a little it's a little unfortunate but it's like the power of anger and of negative mm. of negativity like so so you know learning about and being turned on to prison industrial complex abolition one of the things that was really appealing to me was the idea of not just like tearing down these old old systems but the idea of like abolition as an act of imagination and like how can mm-hmm. we remake the world you know and like mm-hmm. how can we really think about creating systems that genuinely care for people and how beautiful that is but then i think what i you know there is a way in which you can get carried away with just the positive side of that and i've been in meetings where people have been like yes but police are still killing people you know what i mean and so like Mm -hmm. let's not forget that we are justifiably angry at this and to me the lesson is a little bit like there is so much anger and resentment that it fucking allows for a successful revolution on the tethered's part. So it's unfortunate, but that like harnessing those, those negative experiences, emotions, Mm -hmm. whatever is an important part of the connection between people and that denying it, you know, comes with risks. Yeah, I agree. And then I guess another side of that is that this movie isn't, pro-violence but it's also not anti-anti-violence it definitely has a sense that that there is revolutionary violence whether or not that's exactly what we're seeing Mm -hmm. in the film um that possibility isn't being shut down right totally um or moralized right right? so i really um i think that's a, a fascinating um outcome right of horror Mm -hmm. Um, which is so much about just there are good guys and there are bad guys right um the good guys are running away from the bad guys Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so it it's using this very uncomplicated genre to explore a pretty complicated well i would stand up for horror a little bit just to say that you watch enough horror and you do root for the monsters sometimes. You do be like, mm-hmm. oh, uh, oh, Frankenstein is just fucking misunderstood. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is good. I mean, I appreciate you applying pressure to like what I mean by horror. And I think I am using it in a kind of cheap way where I'm just talking about the Jasons and the Freddies and. Um, yeah, but even those guys, which- you know, who, there's. There's stuff to feel bad about for for at least for okay, Jason. Really? Maybe maybe Michael Myers, but and or Freddie. Yeah, Freddie is a pretty hor- horrid guy. <laughs> so I'm gonna say something. I've just seen the original Halloween, and that is the only movie. Like when I think about like horror in that yeah. sense, that's the only horror movie I've ever watched. Yes, there's a ton of things, and I liked what you're talking about in the beginning. It bleeds into sci-fi, and things. there's a ton of stuff that I've watched that is horror but um not in that kind of capital yeah H totally sense yeah, yeah. right um and i think this is capital h horror uh-huh. in a lot of yes, ways absolutely. Like, 
I was wondering what the do I have even a genre reveal? Well, right? and I understand like, your like point. I, I was I wasn't I was only trying to stand up for horror in the sense that I think it also can transcend the black and white moralizing that you're talking about. Yes. I'm still yeah, yeah. totally down with saying fuck the black and white moralizing. I just, as a little bit of a horror fan, want to be like, but horror, horror is cool too. We like I like horror movies sometimes. Well, it's definitely it's because it's campy. Horror is often campy, mm-hmm. and so is is often asking you to read it against itself. Sure, in some ways, totally. Right? So I, I see how that that happens. You're always kind of rooting for the monster to keep killing. You need the monster to keep killing so that there are more movies in the franchise. Like Jason has to keep he has to be alive, or maybe he's not alive. I don't even know. I don't even know anything about these movies. Like, was he a ghost? I don't know what he is. Let's go to the genre reveal because I think that's what <laughs> that, yeah. I think we're we're uh, teasing people enough that that uh, and getting into pure, purely speculative. What is Jason? Mail to me now. <laughs> write, write us at genre reveal party <laughs> at gmail dot com. Um, so yeah, you ready? You ready for your reveal? Yeah. Okay, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna um <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. I was very tempted to steal Joanna's. Right. And I'm just gonna pretend that Joanna's here and I'm gonna say hers is Beach Blanket Barbarism. Okay. It's a great great genre. Mine is I think I'm just gonna call it a day of reckoning. Okay. I like that. Day of reckoning. Cause I like the I I do feel like a, a very um strong sense of yeah reckoning something's something's boiling beneath right mm-hmm. and it's gonna come up at some totally. point right and and um i really felt that to be um the version of horror it was providing and i also like bib- the biblical horror mm. that you were yeah i mean I, the, the day of reckoning is my not my not very Christian or verse and kind of like third generation naughty Catholic schoolgirl version of yeah trying to do a book of revelations sort of situation genre. yeah totally yeah I was once teaching a class I had to teach it I did not want to but I was supposed to teach the book of Job uh huh no no no. This is well. I had to do that too, but I had to do um, a, a different class. Now I'm, it's all <laughs> Genesis, mm-hmm. and this student this is one of the only times a student has complained about me. But I apparently <laughs> compared God to Jaws. Okay, because like he finally shows up. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's this like tease. Uh-huh. Where you're like, what's this look like? And I was trying to. <laughs> lighten the mood or something and just really backfired and the student got really offended by me for comparing god to jaws so i just i wanted to mention that weird because god spelled i don't know anything about horror or the bible like just being (laughs) super vulnerable maybe we'll do we'll do a patreon offshoot series where i just talk about horror (laughs) and the bible (laughs) and i'm like <laughs> what is Jason made of? Does he have skin? <laughs> is he a ghost? 
ask you questions like that. I mean, I haven't even I've only seen the first Friday the thirteenth. So Jason is I've seen almost okay. all I've seen all but well, all but two of the Halloween movies. But the second Rob Zombie Halloween movie I just will never see. But that's a whole other situation. My genre for uh, Give me your genre, sorry. Dave. Is no, not sorry, at all. My genre with is my bad student evals. I love- <laughs> <laughs> from like 2009 <laughs> <Go for laughs> amazing. my genre is keyhole conspiracy horror because to mm-hmm. me i wanted to, i wanted to use the keyhole i wanted to use something that communicates the way in which in the last 20 30 minutes of this movie it just like completely opens up so it feels like you're like it's so confined and then at the end it just like totally spreads open and you realize how much bigger the world of this is sort of a sci-fi situation but it's like mm-hmm. you know it just the conspiracy just goes on forever in the same way that last yeah. shot stretches so uh, i i don't I feel like as that. good about this one as flat white but I'm I'm okay with. I like the keyhole part though because of that detail I was mentioning to you much earlier on, like that that we know that after the fact that Jason was looking through the hole in the locker yeah, at what happens yeah. between Adelaide and, and Red. that was intentional and <laughs> on my <good>. part. <laughs> yeah, not not accidental you, at all because you winged it because you're winging it. You you heard that? Yeah, I definitely intentionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did it feel for you winging it this time? You're pro plagiarism, as we I know, love a plagiarism. So. <laughs> uh, I will. I we those those who have listened closely know that I tend not to go in with a genre, and you do. But this was your first time winging yeah. it. How did it feel? Did, do you feel good about winging it? Do you do you think you will continue to wing it? No, I'm not going to continue <laughs> to wing it. And I immediately, like, upon telling you this, I started telling you about, like, I think this has to do with the Bible, but I don't know anything <laughs> about the Bible. And here's his bad student email. Like, I love it. I think that. that's great. I think we get to some interesting places. <laughs> so I got places. very confessional because that's I good. felt so bad about my, my genre. That's and, like, good. Not knowing what the fuck it means. But yeah. Email us at genrerevealparty at gmail.com to tell us that you love when Madeline gets speculative. Uh, or tweet us at genrerevealpod on Twitter or Instagram. Any, anything else we should, uh, we should say? No. Definitely check out all three of these movies. I'm assuming you have, but... All right. Until next week. <laughs> 